and welcome to the Sam Sorbo Show. Thank you so much for joining me. I am sitting here talking with Amy and Amanda of the um, Refine KC Schooling, which I found on Instagram. I saw Amy on Instagram. She said something really profound. And I said, oh, I've got to have a conversation with this lady. It seems like she gets it. And of course, the topic of conversation is education and the fact that we don't really understand what education is anymore. And so that's the conversation that I try to have now on this program. Thanks so much for joining me. So Amy and Amanda, welcome to the program. Hello, thanks for having us. And there they are. So Amy, you and Amanda, you're both co-founders of Refine KC. So why don't you walk us through, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> What are we doing? <laughs> a great question. <laughs> um, well, I think it, I think to give you our, you know, high level, what we're doing is we, um, as families, we're friends. We've been in church together for years. We did a community group together for years, and we started um, just having this burden on our heart about our kids' education, and um, we both have. Uh, both of our families, our husbands included, have um, been very passionate about exploring what that looks like for our families. And so, you know, it started with Amy's husband, Matt, just talking about this dream that he's had for 20 plus years of starting a school and it being something where God was at the center of the school. Um, and that, and it, you know, we pulled our kids out of public school a year ago, well, actually almost two years ago now, to homeschool together and then realized how awesome it was to be so inundated in our day-to-day -day kids, um, you know, education. And so when we decided that there were parents that needed that and were searching for that, but couldn't, you know, we live in an economy today where dual income households are almost a, a must anymore. And so families need help with that. And we want to be an extension of the family and help bring education, um, you know, from just a public school um, option to something that's affordable and quality and has God at the center of it for any family who's interested. And so that's kind of where we're at, I think. Um, there's a lot more in it. <laughs> We could tell you all the crazy stuff about our journey, but um, yeah, at a high level, that's where we're at. It it sort of reminds me of that movie. Is it I I bought a farm or I started no I started a zoo something like that. I, I started I a zoo. Like, yeah, that's what we did, and they I'm are going to start a zoo. And in a sense, you yeah. did start a zoo because you got a bunch yeah. of young kids running around, right? Yep. We have as young as a first grade all the way up to juniors in high school, all learning together. Um, I teach at the school. I teach uh, middle school and high school history and English. And then um, we've also started a yearbook team. And so I lead that and help the kids find their creativity and capture their moments of their school weeks. And uh, and then Matt, uh, Amy's husband teaches math and science. Um, he does math with the first grader all the way up to the high schooler. So it's it's like, it's a, it's beautiful to see how we're working together and how crazy it is from day to day. How does he do that and still have a full-time job? Well, the school is our full-time <laughs> job. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He left school. So he was a public school teacher for 28 years and we knew deep in our souls that God was saying, get out, get out. We can't do this anymore. Um, that's when we pulled our son. They ended up pulling their children shortly after 
and like a day later, (laughs) very shortly. And then they hold on. Uh, Amanda's family pulled their children out of school a day after what? So we were, school had not yet started. Our son was going to be an incoming freshman at the high school that my husband teaches at, taught at at the time. And he'd already gone to his freshman orientation and everything. And I just felt God clearly saying, don't do this. This isn't okay. Mm-hmm. And we had no experience with homeschooling. I have a college degree in education, but I'm not, I wasn't currently a teacher. And I'm like, I don't know, God. <laughs> And, but I knew for sure that we couldn't have any contentment without pulling him out, which meant that Matt had to then figure out if our son isn't safe in this environment, if this isn't good for him, should I really be there? Should, does that not align with our beliefs at all? And so let's talk, let's, let's just focus on this idea of safety. Uh, We just had a, we just had a shooting in Nashville school, um, it pains me to see that uh, a lot of the media focuses on the shooter, but refuses to name the victims. Um, but you mentioned safe, and this was over a year ago. What what element of safety were you concerned? I know that I know that you say God just put put it on your heart. This is not a good path. So what mm-hmm. was it that that convinced you? Because you know. It's hard for people to understand, and and we're walking through this so that other people can sort of live vicariously a little bit, right? You guys are, in a sense, your your avatars for the the people out there who have been um, have been touched by this idea, but are too afraid to make a move. So they're so they're going to try to figure out what your experience is and glean from that so that they maybe can be emboldened or, or, you know, gain a little bit of courage or something. So you mentioned safe. You said that you were burdened with this sense that it wasn't the right thing for him to do that, but it takes a lot to go from that's not the right path to figuring out what the path is. Right. Yeah. And I think when I use the word safety, like, you know, that was a Christian school that was attacked. So I don't feel like I wasn't talking about physical safety. I meant in an internal way, our son was being poured into with ideas and just manipulation that we did not agree with. Yeah. Safety for his soul. Yes. We're concerned for, yeah, eternal, eternal life in a sense. Mm -hmm. You were concerned for, I get that. I get that. I I wanted, I, I wanted to hear that from you. Um, and so you said, okay, so that's not the path. So there must be another path. That's a huge, you know, I say to people, it takes a leap of faith to trust the Bible, but the Bible's pretty clear. The Bible never says, find a good school for your child. Right. Right. So what you did then, so then your husband said, okay, I resign my teaching career basically. So he ended up finishing out that year teaching we homeschooled. I mean, he was a freshman, so he would go to Amanda's house. He was, I was home. We, it was post-COVID, so I was home more than not for my own job, but he was a very independent learner. So we were able to make it work, but as the year went, my husband, one, realized that God was definitely calling him out of it, too, and that he could not possibly stay there. So what he did was basically two jobs the whole year. We, our families, would get together <laughs> 
almost every evening and we would pour out all of the things that we never thought we could do, like bylaws and trying to, to create an actual new school because we could totally see that our community needed what we needed to. There needed to be more options available for other kids to be safely learning. Well, and I think too, it's important to add that we, I mean, and like so many parents you've probably talked to or people in education that you've spoken with, we recognize that there were serious gaps in education happening as well. And so, um, you know, like, for example, when I started teaching Amy and Matt's son, I was, I actually would read his papers and I would write, like I said, it looks like something died on this paper, but I promise you it's all feedback to make you a better writer. <laughs> and it's Sorry, took him that's a little- funny. I, that is hilarious that you're talking about all the red ink. It's like, it looks yes. like some, somebody was brutally murdered. <laughs> I had a teacher who did that to me and it changed my perception of, you know, getting like putting in quality work. And I mean, they're kids. So what do they want to do? They want to try to see what can fly under the radar, right? That's all right. kids are testing. How, how little can they actually get away with and still well, call themselves so educated? <laughs> yes. And, and the education system was failing him and they weren't holding him accountable. And so now he is completely transformed as a student. Um, he wasn't a bad student. He just was taking advantage of the system. And then I have my oldest is um, she's about to be 14. And she um, she thought she was a horrible student. She thought she was stupid. She struggled so much with her confidence in her education. And I was the good student. Like I was a straight A, spoke at graduation. Like I was a good student. So to have a kid who's coming to me, telling me my child that they weren't a good student, I thought there's absolutely no way. And it wasn't until we pulled her out of school that we recognized that there just were foundational elements that she was missing in her education that was prohibiting her from really continuing to grow as a learner. And it actually ended up impacting her confidence and being able to go out and um, like retrieve that knowledge herself and seek for more understanding. She, instead of taking things for what it is because a teacher told her to, um, you know, she started inquiring and questioning and, you know, doing her own research. And, you know, so that was, it was really beautiful to see these things develop in just a short amount of time with homeschool. And so when we started talking about Refine KC and what we wanted education to look like there, it was really about where are the kid? where's the student at? How do we find out the level that they're working at today? And let's come to them instead of, instead of them coming to some um, predetermined hierarchy of where we think they should be from an education perspective. We said, where are you at student A? Like, I want to meet you where you're at in math, science, history, English. And I wanna help you get to your personal best. Like, let's find what your personal best is. And recognizing that we're all parents and we know that our kids are going <laughs> to, you know, take advantage of the system. We never really ever let them think their personal best is really their best. It's how do, okay, you made it to your goal. Now, how do you go to the next goal? In my classroom, we have a poster, uh, like I just took a poster board and we put it on the wall and they wrote down a goal on a sticky note. And when they've accomplished, I had just had a student this week accomplish her goal. She's like, yay, I got my goal done. And I said, great go get a sticky note and put a new one up there. Like we're not done um, just because we made it to one, one goal. And so I think as educators, we have really seen this, this you know, beauty, beauty in watching them continue to push themselves and grow and not from an arbitrary 
position that we've predetermined for them, but like helping them take ownership over what they want to do. It's very, very clever. The idea that your goal is, uh, is attainable and then it's supplanted with a new goal um, is, a, is a beautiful thing that I think is not something that is, or I would say it's, it's negated inside the schools because the idea of the school is you're going to get that diploma, then you're done. Like, yay, you never have to learn another thing again because you did all of that and you never want to crack another book again. And I'm not surprised. Uh, I know I know too many students who feel incapable because of the way that they've been schooled. Um, mm -hmm. Our school system has that effect on us. And in fact, there's a quote from the turn of the century, the previous century, um, where the guy who implemented the standardized testing said, this will be like applying a dunce cap to make the student feel incompetent. That is the, the purpose of standardized testing mm -hmm. for some of them. Now, I don't, I'm not impugning the, the, the desires of current day teachers. We know there are good teachers and we know there are bad teachers. I think that the system is fraught with issues, um, not the least of which is that it, it's, it doesn't serve the child anymore. And it looks like what you've done is you've, you've created the, uh, an infrastructure that is first and foremost to serve the children um, and to serve them academically. But let's, I want to talk to you, we're going to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, I want to talk to you about this, this idea that your child wasn't safe from the perspective of his soul, his eternal soul, and um, and everything that goes with that. And so how does your school address that sort of portion of education? Because in our system, we have this idea that education is purely academic. You clearly recognize that that's not entirely the case and there are other things at stake. And so I wanna know what, um, what Refined KC does about that. And I would encourage my audience, Go to Instagram and follow Refine KC and see what they're out there in the in the marketplace of ideas, what they're what they're out there talking about. We'll be right back with my guests, Amy and Amanda. Uh, hi there. I just discovered this amazing curricula called IQ Weather. Why the weather? Well, the weather is something we can touch and feel and understand. But more than that, it's actually a combination of a mult of multiple different sciences like um, physics chemistry, geology, geography, oceanography, astronomy, and tectonics. In fact, meteorology is actually the combination of all of those sciences. So why did they create IQ Weather? To roll all those sciences into one easy and fun curriculum that kids can understand. They can go at their own pace, and you'll be amazed at how much they learn and how much they retain because it's actually something that's meaningful to them. So go to IQ Weather today, iqweather.com. And don't forget to use the promo code SAM for a 15% discount, okay? iqweather.com with the promo code SAM. All right, thanks for listening and enjoy studying science. And welcome back to the Sam Sorbo Show. I'm still here with my guests, Amy and Amanda from Refine KC. Uh, and they have started a school. They just sort of said, okay, we don't like what's happening in the schools. Let's build our own. Uh, we have two teachers that I've heard about so far, we'll see, who, who are people who have been educated in the, in the education environment. So they're both trained teachers. 
And Amy, actually, you also have a degree in education, but you are currently not teaching, or you were currently then not teaching, but you were even sort of um, afraid to homeschool, right? I was. I'm sad to admit that now, but I was. I was a first grade teacher. I have an early childhood degree, but he's my child. I know him better than any teacher out there could know my child. And I was afraid of that. And I look back and I think how silly that is mm -hmm. because we learned so much about our kids that year and what, what was lacking and, and not. And um, I was afraid. Yeah, I, it looks like you're even getting emotional about it. And um, this is why I say that um, the school's core competency is in training us in our own incompetence. And so parents are too afraid to home educate because they think they're losers. Um, this is a big idea that I've been working on recently is this idea that we personalize failure, we institutionalize success. So we think, um, I can't do math. I don't have a math brain. My bad. I'm the loser because I can't do math. I'm great at writing because my teachers for writing were awesome. And I learned so much about writing in college or in school, in high school, whatever. And so we institutionalize the good parts, but the bad parts, we tend to personalize. That's, that's our problem. We're unique in the sense that we can't do math. And yet, intrinsically, we know that that's a lie. Intrinsically, there are lots of people who can't do math. So it can't be just my failure. Like I'm the, I'm the one person in the world that doesn't have a math brain. There is no such thing. I really, I, 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 I um, berate people who say they don't have math brains because there is no such thing. I don't have a French brain. I don't have a social studies brain. Like what, what is that? But we've just, uh, you know, right. We've, we've adopted this language. I don't have a math brain. Um, so even though you were educated to be an educator, you still felt incapable of educating. And that's, yes. that's a phenomenal statement that, that I know is true for so many. And so the people who weren't educated to be educators also feel inept but they kind of have an excuse because they weren't taught to educate. You actually went to school for it. You still felt incapable. And I wanna know what you learned, what shifted in you that first year? What was your big <laughs> one or two or five epiphanies that first year that you wanna share with moms and dads who are in that same boat? And, and maybe they didn't get a degree in education, but I'm, I know that what you're gonna tell us applies across the board, so go for it. Uh. I think the first thing I realized is how much I was giving my child to the world and not getting my child. We have two kids, but our oldest was already off to college and my biggest regret is not doing it sooner. But I just remember thinking I could have missed that. I could have missed all of this by giving him to the world. You know, we got some really great advice. So Amy and I are we're researchers. We like to like have the plan. We like to go out and uh, find out all the information we can find. And then we sit down together and we say, okay, what'd you learn? Okay, uh, Amanda, what'd you learn? And we share it, right? And Amy and I started talking to moms who were homeschooling already. And I remember sitting around Amy's kitchen table after one meeting with a great, she was fabulous. She answered all of our questions. 
any negative thing we threw out, she answered them. But the biggest thing she kept saying to us was, you have to let go of traditional schooling. Like you have to let go of that. I know, right? <laughs> and Amy and I are, we're looking That's at each awesome. other like, that's exactly that right. <laughs> so hard for people to do because it that's is. how we grew up. It's like we're, we've been put inside this box and you're saying, yes. but you have to step outside the box. You're like, but the box is all I know. I'm comfortable in the box. This is my yes. box. Why yes. do you want to take the walls down? <laughs> and we're yes. like, because the whole world is outside. <laughs> yeah. And that was the biggest piece for us. I think as far as advice from outsiders um, like that came to us and we were, I mean, cause you, everybody can give you their stance on curriculum and, and what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, you get the advice of, if you don't like it, just throw it out and get a new one. Like, it's fine. You get to decide that. But that advice of letting go of what we knew was so hard for us to digest. Wouldn't you agree? Like, yeah, we were like, we hear you, but we don't understand what that actually means. What does that look like? You can't. You can't possibly understand yeah. until you start walking in it. Once mm -hmm. you start walking in it. So, and I'm surprised. So how long has, has Refined KC been around? So we homeschooled for that, that one year, but during that year, we knew, we knew that we wanted to provide what we had been providing for our own kids to other students. Um, we knew that there was this gap in our community. And so all through that year we were, well, Really, probably not in the fall. In the fall, we were dreaming and thinking and asking God a lot of questions. Always, yeah, we were. We had to get our heads wrapped around homeschooling. Did you first. both? You both pulled all pulled all of your kids out. So I've Amy has two kids. Amanda, how many kids did you have? So I had two, and I was pregnant <laughs> with <Okay>. our third. <laughs> awesome. So so, all, so both families yeah. brought the the four and a half children and said okay we're just going to be home this year yeah and these were older kids these were not like well, baby well no baby, no no but. so my my son is he was a first or a first grader at the time no second grader at the time um our daughter was a seventh grader and then their right. son was a freshman and so we had elementary middle school and high school represented in our little homeschool mini co-op if you will of right. just our two families and um and so we had this huge undertaking of like, Amy was elementary. So she would answer my questions of how do you, how do you get through to an elementary school student? And I was middle school, high school. So I could help with, you know, certain areas and her husband taught math. So he could help fix all of that. And so we worked together collaboratively and created this community um, that allowed us to be successful. And that's something that we carried over to Refine too, is right. when we started Refine KC, it was like, God brings these people into your lives. How do you utilize the walks that they've already taken um, and the skill sets that they've already acquired. And like my husband was a cop, so he didn't, he made no sense in the equation at all. He always said, I, why do you even have me here? I don't know nothing about education. I was a student. Yes, my husband. He was, the cop. But he became, yeah, he was a cop. He left the police department last year, but he, um, he became an asset when we started talking about school safety and he's written all of our safety plans for the school. You know, God used every little piece that he brought together for um, the building of the school and what we learned through homeschool. So, Okay. So let's get to the soul part to the, um, you know, the fact that our, our school system is so mind numbing, soul killing. And you, you recognize that. What are you doing to that? And like, if you're in school again, 
how is this school different than the traditional school? Oh, it is Christ-centered from every, every single aspect. So we get to teach kids the way that we wanted to, the way that we have wanted to all along. So when you're teaching math, you're learning how God created, you know, different patterns in the world. Everything goes back to our creator in the way that we teach there. And really cool this week, uh, my husband was just sharing with me last night, one of our students came to him and said, I think I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to accept Jesus. He's a he's a young one, so his parents are believers. His, his older sibling is a believer, but he's ready. And he said, do you think I could be baptized in this church because this is where I learned the most about the Lord? So we our, our school is in a church that's not even our church. That's a whole other cool story. And he's ready to be baptized. And I mean, you know, as a as a high school math teacher, you would not think, you know, math makes him very happy. This, this conversation that I had with him, I mean, he was just glowing. He was like, this, look what God's doing here. So um, it's very Christ-centered. We have chapel like most Christian schools do. We, I mean, we, we start the day out with God at the center of it. We do, we break the kids into prayer groups and they pray with the, like I call them the big kids and the little kids, but we have our secondary students mingling with our elementary students talking about prayer. And as a matter of fact, most people would think that the secondary students are the ones influencing the elementary on prayer, but it's actually flipped. Secondary, like anybody who has teenagers know that once you hit that magic teenage year, like they start shutting down and pretend like they're too cool for anything that's emotional or, or like puts themselves out there. And, um, and so to see the elementary school kids so passionate about prayer, it's actually pulled our big kids, our secondary students out of their little box and said, you know what, I'm in a safe place. I can pray out loud. I can ask for a prayer requests. I can say praises and nobody's judging me or anything like that. And in a public school, that's exactly what would happen. You get judged you get judged on what shoes you wear to school. So, I mean, the fact that they can talk about prayer openly and not, and feel safe. And then every subject is taught with um, a Christian worldview. So we do use, um, we actually are using a BJU curriculum this year. So it, it's Christ-centered at, at its core. And um, it's a funny story. My, we were doing a review for history this week and they're so, they're, they're so, they're thinking so much about all of the things that they're learning in school that several of my students were getting their Bible lesson confused with their history lesson. And they were like, oh, but isn't it this word, this vocabulary word we learned? And somebody else is saying, no, 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 that's what we learned in Bible. <laughs> and so it's funny how entwined it really is that they're, it's actually become, I wouldn't say a problem, but it's become this apparent uh, thing where they're they're kind of commingling it all, and and that's what we want them. That's equipping them for the world. That's equipping them to go out and be, um, you know, lights in the world. Yeah, uh, I love that you say that the teenagers are more open. Um, it's absolutely true that our schools tend to shut teenagers down and and distance the teens from their parents. Um, school forms a wedge between the child and the parent, and you're clearly trying to offset that by by partner by partnership rather than supplanting, right? And um, but the Bible is the best history book that we have. Exactly. And the idea that we have schools that disregard the Bible and ignore it 
um, I mean, this is this is the loss of our Christianity. It's the loss loss of our faith that the schools are very busy effectuating. Um, because when you when you raise a child for twelve years without the Bible, even just as a history textbook, because it is the the best sourced, least disproven history textbook that we have. And so to ignore it is to is to discount it so that that child will never revert to the Bible when they're older because clearly the educators who know everything, right? The, right? That's 12 years of that. They don't, they don't look at the Bible. Why would I ever crack a Bible? Mm -hmm. And so you're bringing it into the classroom. Um, I would argue that you could bring the Bible into every classroom and, and teach from the Bible to a certain degree for, for every subject. But I also, um, I think that dividing things into subjects is an attempt to divide God because God is in everything. And so why do we have the different subjects? Yeah, we can focus a little bit on the mathematical portion of this, but math but math is physics. Mm -hmm. Math is chemistry. Chemistry is biology. And they they all and then, and you can't have that without history. How do we know this stuff? Look at the history, right? Yeah. And so it's all interconnected, which is which it's like God is the center of the wheel and it's all just the spokes. And, and the fact that we have an entire system of schools that disregards the center, but just tries to establish the wheels of spokes without the center, everyone knows the wheel won't turn without the axis. Yeah. Right. So you guys have, you've sort of pushed all of that aside and you're focusing on the axis and mm -hmm. the spokes um, and I think you're going to find as your as your children, the younger ones age up, what happens to teens that I, I never went through this with my three teens. I never went through the eye rolling, the rebellion, because they were with me the entire time. They, we never we never, in a sense, outsourced them, except a couple mistakes that I made, which I've which I've repented for uh, <laughs> sending them into school. But in any case, um. As they get older, when they are exposed to younger children, they feel compelled to lead. And, and when you have your chapel and you have your other uh, events that involve the olders with the youngers, you will see more of that as your olders have come through the system as youngers, because they'll, they'll be more easily, they'll more easily identify with the younger kids. I think it's, it does children a disservice to divide them by age. Where, um, you know, you're, you might have a young kid who understands um, algebra. Why not allow him to learn algebra with the older kids? Right. No reason, right? It, it's just that we put these, we put kids on a conveyor belt of academics. And, um, and it sounds like you have the, your, your fleet, like, like you are, um, you're a small yacht instead of the Titanic, which is our, public school system is the Titanic and it's going down. And so you've come up with this alternative, which is amazing. How did you get the name Refine KC? Oh my gosh, this is the best story. <laughs> oh, cool. We had been, um, I'll, we'll have to co-tell the story because, yeah. but we had, um, 
we it just had been coming up. So the the story of Elijah had been coming up a lot in our Sunday school class at church. Like I had just done a Bible study on it, and um, and we actually all ended up um, kind of pinpointing on where Elijah was sent to and Zarephath. And so, but that's a horrible name to name a school. Like we actually kicked that idea around, like let's name it Zarephath. And we're like, nobody can spell that. Nobody knows what that means. Like, um, and so when you look at what that means and what God did there, it was he refined Elijah and he uh, refined what he was doing. And so I think that's the short story. And Matt was really, Amy's husband, Matt, was really passionate about that story. And it really resonated a lot with him. Yeah, we wanted our school to be a place where not only our students come to be refined, but our parents and our staff, everyone comes there to be refined because even though it's difficult, that is how we get to know God better. And that's how we get on the path that he has created for us. And so, um, and of course we're in Kansas City, so refined KC it was because Zarephath was not easy to pronounce or spell. <laughs> that's awesome. So tell me, what have you both learned from your children? Oh, great question. <laughs> um, well, you only have one. I have to think about all of them. So <laughs> I have two. I have two children. Well, one at school with us right she now. So. Every day. Yeah, she does teach you every day. Um, gosh, mm, that's a good question. My son, he makes me think of things from perspectives I never would have. And he's very much like me. So we also butt heads very easily. And that I'm so proud of him <laughs> at the same time. Um, I don't know. I think let before me, let me we were, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say before when we were just sending him off to school, I didn't even know how to have the depth of conversations with him because I, I, I knew nothing about what his day looked like. Now I can have deeper conversations and I can really get to know his thoughts and you know, where he's struggling to understand different things and, you know, what he really sees as his own perspective on life and on God. And you can help refine it. Yes. And he's refining me at the same time. Would yeah. you say, would you say that that's part of his education? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Would you say that by sending him to school, as you had done previously, you were no longer part of that part of his education? Yeah, and that's, I mean, that is why we are very focused on a biblical view of this. So we think of it as three chords. The parents are, the parent, you're, as a parent, God has given these children to you and you are in charge of educating them. First, first. yeah, <laughs> first. <laughs> and then as a parent, you're in charge of getting them in church. So the parents and the church, those are two of the chords. The school is just the third chord that helps helps the parents in their education of their own children. So our parents are extremely involved in their child's daily lives. Um, they are there as much as they want to be there. It's not a closed door policy. Um, it is very open when we have, I mean, we have a lot of parent support. I mean, we even have, we have an, we have such 
uh, transparency with between our faculty and which there are four of us that teach at the school um, but between our faculty and our parents but a lot of our parents just text the teachers directly like hey um I noticed this and can you answer you know my question about what I'm seeing and vice versa like if they are having an issue at home they're like hey we've been having uh, like one student was having a behavior issue and I've been seeing this at home and he's and he's reacting in this manner. Can you help me here at school? Like, can you reinforce him, encourage him, um, and just love on him a little bit extra while he's here? And we do that. And so it's this, it, we are partners in our children's education, not um, two separate systems constantly working against each other. And um, and then having we every Monday we start our day off with um, after we do our pledges and we um, do our devotion, we start our day off by talking about some of the things that we learned in church on Sunday. I mean, this is a great opportunity to encourage students to pay attention to what they're learning in Sunday school or learning in, in the sermons on Sunday morning and taking that back with them to school and saying, oh, yeah, we we're talking about this book of the Bible and this is what we're learning. And so it's it's not siloed the way we see most educational systems. And it's exactly what you could get if you were homeschooling. Right. You would know every aspect, every facet of what your kid's doing. And um, and so we just want to be. A better like another version of that but something accessible to parents who maybe can't do it right exactly like a like a bit of a conduit although um yes. i think parents are more capable than they they believe themselves to be we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit about the um the curriculum but also how how you um how you go about facilitating the parents to achieve that level of closeness that you had. And then I have a special question I want to ask you on the, uh, after the break. So stay tuned. This is 50% of kids will be exposed to porn by the age of 13 and 78% of high schoolers admit to online porn usage. What can you do? Get Canopy. Canopy is an app that installs on your phone, Android or iPhone, uh, Chromebook or MacBook or whatever and it will actively prevent pornographic imagery from popping up on the phone. It actually filters it in real time. It can prevent sexting. It can prevent so much and protect your kids. Remember, when you give your kids a device, you are allowing the internet to have access to them. So postpone that for as long as you can, but when you have to do it, when you feel compelled, get Canopy. And if you go to Canopy and you use the code SAM20, you'll save 20% off lifetime discount on your subscription. Go to samsorbo.com for more information and uh, use the discount code SAM20 to save 20%. Thanks. All right, back to the Sam Sorbo Show. Thanks for joining me. I'm talking with the um, co-founders of Refine KC, which is a small Christian school in Kansas City. We just learned about how it got its name. It's a beautiful name, Refine KC, where the children are refined and the parents and the teachers are refined as well. In fact, everybody is refining everyone else, just the way that God planned it, I think. Uh, so that's a beautiful thing. So before the break, we were talking about what you learned, Amy, from your child um, and that, that he thinks differently than the way that you think, but you're also very much alike. And so you butt heads a little bit and how you've how you've managed that since you've brought him back home, the fact that 
you know so much more about his life and who he's becoming as an individual because you spend so much more time with him. And that's a really beautiful thing. I want to ask you, what has God taught you through your son? I'm glad they're answering this question. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, we are so much alike that when I see um, things in his character that need to be refined, I then can turn the mirror on myself and probably see the same things. And so then I have to repent and I have to apologize to my son for showing him character that God would not approve of. And then we have to talk that through. And I think um, it's helped us both become better people. Um, but he's he's so smart. He His interests, obviously, as a teenage boy are very different than mine. And so he just, he teaches me about cars and he's a 16 year old boy with a new car and he's, you know, worked really hard to buy that car on his own. And he's so proud of it and knows every inner working of it. And I know nothing like that. So he teaches me about everything every day. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's a big, I really want people to understand that you were given your children by God, because God has some more to teach you. You're not done. I know you think you're done because you went to school and school said, you're done, stick a fork in you. Now go make money. But that's not how God works. And your children are, are there to teach you. So Amanda, same question. What have your children taught you that, that you think God really you know, was behind and wanted you to learn? Yeah. I think first and foremost, um, my kids have taught me. So I, I worked in corporate America. Um, I worked for an oil company for years. I was traveled all across the United States. I was the corporate ladder climber. It was going to be amazing. Right. And I had no desire to ever stay at home or do any of the, the mom, traditional mom things. And, um, over the last probably four years, um, our journey has led us uh, to so many different places that, um, I realized that the world had lied to me about what it really meant to be a mom. And the Bible was actually where I needed to be focusing on what it meant to be a mom, if that makes sense. And um, I appreciated the role God had given me so much more um, than I had the previous 10 years. And so it was, um, it was this beautiful enlightening of like, okay, first and foremost, here's your blessings. Why don't you focus on your blessings <laughs> instead of on these things that are of the world? And when I started focusing on my blessings, then very similar to Amy's story, you know, my daughter is uh, very similar to me. Um, we joke that she got all of the best qualities of my husband and I, which can be very frustrating because that means she's an excellent arguer. She is uh, very smart. <laughs> and our son got like all the frustrating things about each other. And so like we hand him off all the time. <laughs> like, okay, this is your trait. You're going to have to go deal with that. Um, and then the baby, he's, he's seven months old. So we haven't quite determined. He looks ornery, so we're not really sure what we're getting with him yet. But we've <laughs> We've learned a lot about um, ourselves and ways that we thought we had almost elevated ourselves. Like, oh, that's not an issue I have. And then we see it in our children. And of course, your spouse is always there to remind you that, no, you suffer from the same problem that's your child. <laughs> and so we help each other also in that space. So it's really grown our family more than anything. I think we've brought us closer together, too, is just accepting our roles and honing in on what that meant and what God was bringing us in to do. 
When so did you I've step back from, from corporate life? Um, it's been four years ago. I had some health oh, issues pop up. And so I thought, I thought if I took myself away from the stress, I mean, I was literally, I said I was managing a three ring circus. I had corporate life I was managing. Um, I was being fast tracked into different management spots. And, um, and then, you know, I had two children, they were relatively small at the time. And, um, and so every time I traveled Monday to Friday, they had to go someplace because my husband was working nights or something like, you know, it was always, you were managing the household and your career. And, um, and I remember asking my kids, I had been gone for about a year and I was contemplating, somebody had reached out to me and they were like, Hey, we'd love to have you come back. Um, and I asked my kids, we were driving to target or something. Hold on. Said, I'm sorry. You were gone for a year. When I asked my kids this question, like I, I had already left the job and I was home oh, okay, for a year okay. with my kids. You were home for and, a year. Okay. Oh, no, no, not gone from my kids for a year. No, that would have been awful. Um, I was gone from corporate life for a year. And I asked my kids, can I, what do you think about mommy going back to work? Like, would you like, and both my kids immediately, like their face went white and they were like, please don't. We like you at home. We like the type of person you are at home. And that was the first time it really hit me that um, maybe I wasn't even the right person when I was focused on myself and focused on my career. And I'm not, I'm not, con I'm not like uh, chastising anybody who's chosen that route it, to each their own. I, it was just God's personal revelation to me that like, this isn't what I intended for your life. And this isn't what I intended for you and your family. And so I, I, um, I, wanna, I haven't. I, okay. I, I want to focus on that a little bit. Um, okay. We're not here to tell people whether they're right or wrong. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to show people their options that they might not have considered. And you said early into this part of our discussion that you didn't really realize what motherhood was, that you had been dissuaded from basically even looking at motherhood as, as a viable um, career path, right? Mm -hmm. And that's because we, are, are, and I'm sure you're seeing it today with the whole transgender movement. It's, a, it's an anti-feminine movement. It's men make better women than women do. And the female things that women traditionally did are disparaged and ridiculed in a sense. Um, they're worthless. And that's why they took home ec out of school because it used to be that ladies, young girls were taught home ec stuff, which is basically, and young boys too, it's basically mm -hmm. common, like it's, that's good stuff to know. It's good to know how to mend something, how to sew a little bit, how to cook a little bit. Like those are good things to know. Those are skills, mm -hmm. but we're taking all those skills and we're throwing them out the window because they're the traditional female role. And we've empowered, we've empowered women to not be powerful. And so now we end up with this and, and you're, you're such a great advocate and you know, you don't, yes, we understand. You're not trying to tell anybody that the corporate route is the, is a bad way to go. What you're saying is if you, if you haven't considered motherhood as a viable career path, maybe you ought to, because you, you, by, by your own words, what I heard, what I heard was you feel more successful as an individual, as a, as a person being a mother to your children than you did climbing the corporate ladder. Is that fair to say? 
Um, I would say it's been a journey to get to that mindset. Cause remember we've been this brainwashed. Is, this is so yeah. But we've been like success was, uh, identified as like what your position was what your job is, what, how much money you make. Like those are things that by the world standards, this is what makes you successful and saying I'm a stay at home mom or a housewife or anything like that just doesn't have the same connotation. And so well, honestly, um, Look at, look, my oldest son, not going to college. You think oh. that's easy for me? Right. <laughs> so you have do you know to what I mean? I'm like, man. where's your son? Oh, he's 21. Where does he go to college? He's not going to college. Really? <laughs> yes. And I'm very and comfortable with that choice. I say, while I'm still trying to get comfortable with that choice, right? Yeah. It's because you're absolutely right. We define success according to what the school taught us success was. And what is success according to the school? College prep and career readiness. Well, what is that? Money. Success as defined by 12 years, K through 12, 13 years. Their definition of success is money. Money, 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 money. That's it. Money. Money buys happiness. Money buys health. Money buys longevity. Money buys you fancy cars. You will be happy if you have that fancy car. Don't you know it? And we we grow up and we've come to realize that that's a lie. Yeah. So when you were told, when you were advised early days, try to forget everything that you learned in school. Try to not do school. They're right. Yeah. They're sorry, right. And we need to focus our children on the light, not the dollar sign. Right? You know, and that's another great thing about Refine KC that we've incorporated into the school itself is um, service. And so it's very important for our for us as educators and co-founders to say we want to see our kids not just come to school, um, you know, for these set hours during the day and learn, but we also want them to know how to serve and how to work for things. So we did. Why, why like what do you tell them why are they learning service um one it's biblical <laughs> first and foremost um we're called to walk like jesus and jesus served and that's what we need to do is serve but two it's uh, there's um I, I would say it's more fulfilling and helping them retrain their brains because their friends are saying like, oh, why would I help my mom do the chores? Or why would I do this? Why would I do that? Um, but, you know, we're, we're advocating like this is our this is our school. So you're going to vacuum because this is your place of learning. You're going to take ownership and take care of the space that you're in. We're going to serve the people of the church because those people have given us a home for our school. So we're going to write letters to them and we're going to love on them and we're going to donate to them when they're in need. And like, just keep building on it, this giving back mentality instead of it being um, something for a tax write-off purpose, but rather it be something that like the kids actually find um, fulfilling and they can see the why that's beneficial. And that's, it's just a programming thing. Like that's, you have to get them looking at it like that. And once they're trained to look at it from that lens, instead of from a worldly lens, they, they don't, there's no more confusion, right? They want to do it. They're excited to do it. We have parents saying, how can you make them want to vacuum at home? And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Mine won't do it at home either. <laughs> but they, you know, they, they love doing it. It's a fight over who vacuums and who wipes tables down and who stacks chairs and who picks up trash. And um, you can you make know, them vacuum they, at home. 
It's very easy. You challenge it, them. You have to do it. Like at you, some point, as well, parents, you challenge, you, you can challenge them. You say, I challenge everyone in this class to get the vacuum out this weekend and vacuum. And, yeah. and then, and you make it a game, you make it a contest, you make it something, right? Um, yeah. I, ch I challenge you to do that. And then you, ch and then you, you send home a note to the parents and you say, do not ask your child to vacuum this weekend. Do not. Cause it's no fun doing it. If somebody asks you to do it. Right. Um, but I love this. This is because this is education. Learning how to give is education. We don't see it as education because we grew up in the school and the school taught us that's not education because the school ignored it. But what happens when, when a child learns how to give, they grow in their self-worth. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful equation. The only way you can teach that is by having it, by, by fostering it, by, by um, having them do it. And then they get that, they get the response. So I, so you encourage the church people to visit the classroom to thank all the kids for the letter or whatever. Right. And so there's an exchange that happens and the children understand that they affect the world and the world is affected by them. And that, that gives them that sense of belonging, the sense of importance, the sense of my life has value. I have something to offer. Right. And that's, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. You guys are amazing. Amazing what you've we're what just you've trying to do the best we can with what God's given us. And we're you know, How the many other students, thing about, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say the other thing, and you can relate to this as somebody who's done home education, and you have to be flexible, right? And so as educators, even though we're not doing traditional, even though we're not doing home education, we're in our classrooms and we're with kids and we're flexible. That means if a kid has a question, let's divert our our agenda for that class period and let's answer that question they're coming out and they're reaching out and they're trying to seek additional knowledge let's equip them with how we go and find that or whatever and we, you have to be flexible and I think as parents that's something that we're um, we're it's hard for us to do that we want to have the regimen of, I mean we even joke about we're all planners and God doesn't reveal to us in advance what our five-year plan looks like for the school. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, we've, and even on ourselves, the school's taught us how to be extremely flexible when you say. How many yeah. kids do you have and how many kids do you expect for next year? We have 16 right now. Um, we will grow next year, but we don't know how much. Yeah. Okay. Um, Typically, we, most Christian schools double in the second year. So we would expect something like that. Our goal is not to get to be a giant school because it is a big learning community where we are all in this together. And I don't think we could ever accomplish that as a massive school. I think you said on the last, on a previous podcast that like if we could have a thousand refined KCs, yes. that would be a beautiful. <laughs> we don't need schools that house, you know, a thousand or 5,000 kids. We need these little independent, like private places that are um, equipping the kids into, on a personalized level versus this mass education. Mm -hmm. Amanda, I couldn't say it any better than that. We're going to leave it right there. I, I wish you great success, both of you, Amy and Amanda from Refined KC. Go follow them on Instagram and look them up and uh, check out what they're up to and see if you can't start something like this in your own community. It's just fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the Sam Sorbo Show.